What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Impact Show. This is your friendly neighborhood town strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. Leaders have to break the trauma cycle. When a new person joins your team, you have 45 days to share the happiness. You need to get focused on getting your folks bought in quickly so you can start building the high-performance organization that you're looking to build. That's the argument that Yogi Miller makes. So who is this Yogi guy? Let me tell you a little bit about Yogi. When he's not ransacking picnic baskets, he has been a learning and organization leader and a human potential locksmith. He's got over 30 years of experience in the hospitality industry. He's currently serving as the VP of Leadership and Talent Development at Blue Green Vacations, a leading vacation ownership company with over 60 resorts over the U.S. and Caribbean. Additionally, Yogi co-founded and runs the Give Till It Rocks, an event production and promotion company specializing in fundraising for nonprofit organizations. When he's not pursuing his life's mission, to unlock human potential and foster a culture of excellence and engagement, especially in the hospitality industry. Yogi is a singer, did not know that, songwriter, musician, YouTube creator, and he lives in Orlando, Florida, and I'm half disappointed that he didn't put his ears on for this conversation. Yogi Miller, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I, I did have the mouse for the 10 years of my life as my boss, so I, I have a few of them lying around the house. Nice. <laughs> I know we covered a lot of ground in the bio, but what I'd like you to do is share with the audience some of the other things that you feel is going to be important for them to know and learn about you that's going to inform this conversation. I didn't set out to be an L&D guy. I was, and I found a, that's true for a lot of people in our industry. We find we're passionate about it. We have a pension for it. We love it. We get something out of it and we fall into it. And I originally started as an operator in hospitality world and started getting involved in training and talent development and leadership development. And that became a life's passion. So it is organic in its, in its evolution. And I've never been happier in the position and in the role and in the industry that I'm in. There's a lot of interesting things about your background that I want to get into, but one particular thing is what you just talked about your entire career, or at least big chunks of your career have been in the hospitality industry. And one of the things that I know about that industry it's, is that it's got a massive amount of churn. Now, you've been in the L&D function for big chunks of your career in the hospitality industry. How does that all fit together when you're dealing with basically an employee population that has a high level of turnover within the industry? It's a couple of things. One, it's one of engaging and retaining and developing existing talent, growing that 70-30 ratio that you want in the organization for promotions and, and really unlocking that potential of that locksmith concept and creating an environment programs, a, a, a coaching culture, a development culture to be able to nurture that. It, it's tough to find people uh, in the hospitality industry. Uh, when somebody builds a new hotel, I don't go, wow, that's an amazing looking hotel. I'm thinking, how are they going to staff it? Because staffing is so difficult in the hospitality industry and post COVID. A lot of people left the industry. They, they, they felt that it was too volatile when something like that happens. 
uh, and left for something which they felt was more more secure, for a lack of a better term. And so it, it's about finding the right people coming in that's going to have that longevity, engaging in the while we're here. And especially our young folks, if they spent three years in an organization, that's a lifetime. And aiming for that, hoping for more, but hoping for at least that minimum three years that you see as that norm with folks coming out. So it's about the people, 100%. There's another bit that I want to pull on based off of what you just mentioned, and that was the emphasis on development and retention. Those things are related. And, and whenever somebody mentions retention, my ears go up because that's really my area of nerddom when it comes to the employee life cycle. You don't often hear people in hospitality emphasize development or retention. It's more common, at least in my experience, to hear people talk in terms of, oh, we can always hire our way out of it. So tell me a little bit about how that emphasis in development and retention formed throughout your career, because this is not something that I often hear from people in the hospitality space. A lot of it came from my personal experience growing up in the hospitality world, whether it was retail or theme parks or, and in that world, you, you get to a point in your development, in your career path. And a lot of times you hit this brick wall and it, often it's going from hourly management to salary management and then on and on. And you get to that brick wall and you beat your head against it a couple of times. And finally you just give up, right? You think it's an insurmountable chasm that you need to pass to get to point A to point B. At Disney, I was, I cut my teeth on some of that organized L&D with the Walt Disney Company and, and, and they've been famous for that since 1955. They started developing programs to help people skip over that. And not skip, but see a more surmountable to it. So when I got into L&D roles where I had a, an opportunity to impact strategy and in-product productivity, I wanted to look for those stepping stones. And in our current world, we call them career accelerator series because it a lot of them, there's no guarantees of a promotion, but because of the exposure, because of the, the work that they do and the networking and, and the growth arc that they have, we see 60 plus percent promotion, even though it's not guaranteed within the first year. And what that does is it shows them possibilities. And that's all we need to do. We just started a new program called Ignite, which focuses on, on our frontline associates that maybe didn't even consider a career path or growing into leadership. Maybe they didn't think they were capable or didn't think that it was a possibility or never even considered it. But what we do in this program through interactions and networking and mentoring is help ignite that fire. And that's what's going to help that organically growing promotion rate from the inside is start at that point and create that desire for them to have that career. And then once they say, okay, this is what I want to do, you lay out this roadmap for them and they see possibility. It's when that shining city on a hill in terms of that right seat on the right bus of where they need to be, where they feel valued and appreciated is behind a cloud. That's when people leave. So you want to make sure that it's visible, it's tangible, and it feels possible. I like the concept of Ignite. And if we're carrying that theme forward, when is the right time to spark that conversation about what the future looks like? Do you do it at the onboarding phase? Do you do it past probationary period? Give us some guardrails on when you should be having that conversation. That's a great question. So I, I'm not going to tell you that it's a timeline, right? I'm not talking about junior people in the work in the workforce or, or senior people in the workforce. The programs that that we had in the company and that I've created in the past are based on potential, and that's not something that's necessarily seen right off the bat. You're hired for your potential a, a lot of times, and then you see that grow. So we want to make sure that the seeds that we're planting 
are going to be in a soil that's going to produce. In terms of the right time, the individual has to be willing and able to understand their potential. And those are two separate things. There are people that, I've always said, the, the worst, most disappointing part about leadership is the disappointment. And what I mean by that is when you see somebody, they have that genocide quad, they have that something, they, they're, they're capable of so much more and to do so much more, but they have the inability or the unwillingness to accept that and do anything about it. So as a leader, when you see that spark, you have to determine, okay, is this an educational part for them where we have to let them know that they have potential and let them understand that they have possibilities or to let the person that's unwilling to accept that potential that, hey, there is a path for you and there is all the support that we're providing you. So when you take a step forward, you're not taking a step off a cliff. There is a net to catch you every step of the way, and we're going to help you grow. And so when you, I think it's that spark moment. And that comes in different parts of people's, I've, I've had associates that have been with me two months, and I'm like, boom, that's the person that, that has that, that certain something. Others take a little bit of time to grow into. So as a leader, you have to be observant. It has to be down on that individual level because one equation will not work for anybody else. If I'm going to draw a parallel to maybe some of the people that might be listening to this, what you're describing, at least from a marketing and sales perspective, is that talent that you are working with, are they potential aware or potential unaware? And that's going to dictate what you need to do. Because in sales and marketing, when you're talking about a potential buyer, before you can determine what to do, you need to actually find out if they're actually aware that a problem exists and specifically the problem that you solve for. So I really like that distinction that you made. Let's, let's dive deeper a, a little bit as we, as we continue the conversation. Now you've been at Blue Green for almost 12 years mm -hmm. and we talk to HR leaders all the time. They talk about the need to embed whatever their core values are, their why, all of these sort of stuff on the wall stuff into their organization. And I'm going to pose the same question to you as I've posed to other people. That sounds great in theory. How did you actually get to the point where that was actually woven into your environment? I was blessed to, in this last role that I've had, I was blessed to have been encouraged to join from somebody that was already aware of my ability. So I, I, I went in with that knowledge, with that energy behind it, right? And I had leaders in SVP and VP positions at that time that understood what L&D can do. So I, I had a leg up. There had to be some education. There had to be some propagation of the culture. But if your leader doesn't get it, you're not going to get it. They're not going to get it. And a lot of times learning events or learning programs, whether it's a micro learning or a three-day session class, sometimes it's a box to check. Sometimes it's a nice to have. You know, leader said, we need training. Well, why? Because they enjoy it. And you also have to have leaders that understand that L&D professionals have to ask those tough questions. Why isn't it where the problem might be you? And so when you have that leeway to ask those questions and that trust of not just you, but the industry and your practice, that helps out a lot. So that's always the first place you start. I, I think one of the things that I'm going to highlight about that is you mentioned the phrase, get it. And I would make the argument, it, it's, it's a great point because when you look at any sort of organizational transformation and you look at the reasons why something might fail, leadership buy-in or leadership sponsorship is critical to executing on any transformation. So that's how I translated your get it phrase. And my 
two cents as an armchair quarterback would be if you as an HR leader, people leader, whatever, are trying to execute some sort of transformation within your organization, you don't have a leader that gets it, do not move forward until they are in a place where they actually quote unquote get it. I'm going to come back to your comment about marketing. How many products and services do you have to market the value of the product that you're creating before there's a market for your product? And I've been in organizations where you have to say, this is what we can do. This is how it can help you. And they don't understand the value of, of development. They don't understand where the ROI is because we know a lot of times it is intangible and unmeasurable. So your first two years might literally be being marketing your product to leaders that don't understand that maybe had zero experience with a talent professional in the past. And so there, there is a hill to climb before you climb the other hills. Like I said, I was a little bit farther up the hill in my particular department, and that was very helpful. But others I know have to start from ground zero. When we're looking at how do we guide our leaders to the point or place where they quote unquote, get it? My argument or my advice would be instead of the product and demonstrating value in the product, you need to be centered on the problem. What is the problem that you're trying to solve? That's how you get your leaders, just like any other customer to quote unquote, get what it is that you're trying to do and what you want to do. So if you're not problem focused, and if you're not focused on the outcome that you're trying to deliver, you're never going to get that leader to the point where they get it. Yogi, I think, I think we've set the stage really well. And one of the things that, that I want to tie back to what I mentioned earlier in the show is that leaders have to recognize and break the trauma cycle. And there was a bunch of stuff that I said after that, but it's all related to it. And I want you to tie that together to the game-changing realization that you had and how that informed how you lead and manage people in your organization. What's the story behind that? I, I think to, to tie back into our earlier conversation where we have in some parts an oscillation of tenure in an organization, and especially post-COVID where people look for more intrinsic value in the work that they do and not just come punch a clock and go home. They're looking for worth. They're looking for family valued, respected, and appreciated. If they're not going to do that, they're going to leave. And so what that means is you, if you have a great culture, and, and you have a, 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 a dynamic and a leadership culture and a coaching culture, whatever it is, where they're not used to, I've termed that the shaken puppy syndrome. Because when you have folks that have left an organization because it was not the most ideal for them, and they go into an environment that has everything they're looking for, they don't know how to help. They're scared to death. When you see those PETA videos where the dog is in the back of the, the corner and they won't eat because they're going to get beat. Hopefully that's not happening at previous organization. But the proverbially sense is the same. We have associates that join a great culture and they don't know how to act. They don't know how to act around leadership. They're looking over their shoulder. They're questioning everything. There's a lack of trust going into it. And I had, a, I had one new hire at one time. I do a 45 day check-in with our new hires, leaders. And they said they wasted the first three months of their tenure waiting for the gotcha and it never came. And that was a light bulb for me. Okay. We need to figure out how to identify these individuals that are struggling to really get in the culture because they're not feeling connected. And if they're not feeling connected, there's no proactivity. There's no engagement on that individual side. And we may lose them a lot more quickly because they don't understand truly what's going on. Wow, it's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you 
This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community. Get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR impact. And now back to the show. We're taking the HR impact show on the road. As a loyal listener to the HR impact show, we'd like to invite you to join us live at the 2024 Transform Conference at the Wynn Resort in Las Vegas from March 11th through the 13th. Transform brings together people-driven leaders, investors, and innovators across industries and backgrounds with a shared passion for people innovation and transforming the world of work. The 2024 Transform Conference is gonna be the best yet. Here's what you can expect. Innovative showcases, probing conversations, hands-on learning experiences, 300 plus speakers, and more. Join us and let's shape the future world of work together. Your shaken puppy syndrome is really interesting to, to talk about. And what I put it in context of all of the great fill in the blanks that we've heard about over the last couple of years, the great reset, the great resignation, quiet quitting and all that sort of stuff. I think there's a lot of employees that are particularly jaded about how corporate America works. And what you're describing seems damn near impossible given what we see and hear about company operations across the country. So if you're looking at breaking the trauma cycle, if you're looking at eliminating the making people wait for the gotcha, all of that sort of stuff, that sounds great. And it's really surprising that you're mentioning that in a hospitality setting. You might as well be telling me to go fly to the moon using duct tape and super glue to build my vehicle. How do you actually pull that off? What are some practical things that people need to do to break that trauma cycle? I, I think the secret there lies in as a leader of somebody that's coming into the organization, and maybe maybe you don't know the environment that they came from, they may not have shared, but if you are a present leader in their experience, especially within that first 90 days, it's a critical period of time that you're meeting with them on a regular basis, you're conversing with them, you're listening to them, you're watching them interact. You're watching how they phrase emails. Those little things can give you clues in terms of the environment they came from. If they seem afraid of their shadow, if they don't, if they can't walk five steps ahead without getting your permission, things like that are those amalgamation of a go, okay, they didn't come from the most healthy environment. So one of the things I, I, I think you and I talked about is you can't tell them what a great culture you have. All you can do is show them and let them experience in the self. You can't give that puppy in the back corner of the kennel a, a bowl of food and expect him to eat. You know, you see videos of the person sitting next to him and eating and then giving him some of that. And so they see, hey, this is okay. I can ask questions. I can have ideas and share ideas. I can actually question my boss. I can, if I need to take a, a, an hour to go to a doctor's appointment and come back, it's not going to be the end of the world. But I, I think it's all centered on the leader really paying attention to that person's experience and then how they are reacting to what they see. You, and you can be so busy as a leader, you're going to miss it. And if you do, their impression of the engagement, the culture of your company is going to be in concrete and might be extremely difficult, if not possibly possible to undo. So you don't want to miss that opportunity to ensure they understand what you're truly about. I want to dig a little bit deeper into your comment about leaders need to be present. That could mean all sorts of different things to all sorts of different leaders. Define for me what actual valuable leadership presence looks like 
in the context of getting somebody onboarded quickly into an organization and having them experience and understand what the culture looks like. So I, I think constant contact. Now that doesn't mean you're always looking over their shoulder. It means availability. It means, hey, I'm here. It, it could be a five-minute check-in at the end of the day, and it's involving them, get, getting them into rooms with you with other people to show them that it's not just me, it's other people in the organization. Get them to meet other people in the organization. Make sure you schedule all those one-on-ones with their clients, with their partners, with their vendors, whatever it is, and demonstrate, right? The only way that new hire is going to see what your culture is, how you demonstrate it. You are the thermostat of that department, of that business unit. You are the thermostat of that individual's experience. And one key does not unlock every door. So what you do for this particular new associate, going to be vastly different than you're going to do for somebody else. But you have to be present in their experience, not in their physical space, but in their experience, especially within that first 90 days. Some people will hear what you're saying and think, okay, I need to be present in their experience. I I'll help them through like the technology part of onboarding or, or some of the admin stuff related stuff. Is that really meaningful? Is that going to move the needle or are there other things they should be doing that has more concrete impact in that onboarding experience, in that cultural experience that you're talking about? I think that experience goes way beyond making the widget. That is an aspect of it. But I think this video that I show sometimes, I think it was made in 1955. And this guy goes, here's your book. This is the machine. All right, I'll see you later. Those days are gone. And obviously we need to have them operationally functional, but they need to be dynamically functional in the organization as well. Just because they know how to make that widget does not mean they're going to be happy doing it and feel engaged which could lead to other production errors. So you have to look at, here's a word, you have to look at the holistic approach of that person's uh, experience. And you've got to take the individual, especially these days, with everybody's priorities different than they were in 2019, and really make sure you're checking all those boxes that they'd say. In fact, our orientation program, the goal of that orientation program is to reinforce on day one, this was the best decision they can possibly make. And it starts there. I think we've covered a lot of ground here. And it's a lot of stuff to deconstruct, but I think there's going to be people that are in the audience that are going to be listening to this and wondering, hey, that sounds great. How do I get started? So how would you answer that question? When I was trying to get a handle on what the leadership culture is, I interviewed a lot of leaders from the, let's say the four corners of the organization. What did they feel were the most important things that they do? What was the culture that they feel that propagated? And on paper, it sounded pretty close in Nothing says powerful culture like alignment in all four corners of the organization. But I'll tell you, Jim, it wasn't completely evident to me until I was hosting these 45-day check-ins from new leaders from across the company and four different parts, different organizations in the company, different business units, geographic, all of them. Never have to interact with each other before. And one of the experiences is, okay, I want you to talk about your 90 days. And if you were going to tell a new hire, what are the great things about the company that you want to share with them? We put them in small groups and they all had the same experience. The being okay to ask questions, the, the support, everybody wants to help. There was so much support and desire for them to succeed. And whether you were in this department, they're like, yeah, that was what I saw too. And they came back and everybody in the debris said, that's the culture. And you have to sit back and go, that's pretty powerful because you, because we know that doesn't exist in a lot of organizations where there's that consistency, that current that underflows. And when you can see that, that is 100% L&D ROI, that that leadership culture has 
permeated really what you are as an organization and how you operate. What you're describing there reminds me of what one of the marketing leaders that I follow on LinkedIn, he often says culture is defined at the edges of the enterprise. And what he means when he says that is everybody in the C-suite and maybe in the senior leadership suite can sing out of the same hymn book or talk about the same playbook. But you really know and understand when you have something real from a cultural perspective, when the garden variety line level person or the manager that is far removed from the executive suite is saying the same thing, that's when you know that you've actually embedded a culture. So I think if we're saying, hey, what's the litmus test that a leader needs to have to determine if they've embedded the culture, what you just described is the thing. Go to the furthest reaches of your organization and what are they talking about in terms of what it's like being here? That'll give you a signal on if you have something that's real or if it's more of a paper mache culture. I think we covered a ton of ground in this conversation. And when we think about all the stuff that we talked about, what are the big things that you want listeners to have in the front of their minds when they're trying to execute and deliver this sort of cultural transformation that you're describing. I, I just posted something on LinkedIn this morning and I, I said, leaders, there's this one thing that you need to really think about and that's your people. And I said, and that is all, right? Because these days people are a commodity in your organization. Walt Disney said, you can build the most amazing thing in the world, but it takes people to make it a reality. And when you look at that and you understand without people, you have nothing. You have a building, you have an unbuilt product, you have an untended service, whatever it is, you need the people. And the more you can dig into the hearts and minds of those individuals, especially post-COVID, you're going to get longevity, engagement, and you're going to get just a tremendous sense of well-being from them, which will translate to that because your best, your brightest, your smartest, are going to want to be a part of your organization because your priority is where they want it to be. There, there's something really interesting about what you just mentioned, where leaders' number one responsibility is your people, and that's it. And the interesting aspect about that phrase is that we've seen and experienced a lot of leaders who talk about, yeah, our people are our most valuable asset, or our people are our most important thing. That we've had organizational leaders talk through talk about that as well. But it doesn't live, it, it doesn't show up in how they act. And that's the other part that I would add to what you said is that it's not enough to say it. You said it earlier in the show, people have to experience that and feel it. If people want to continue the conversation, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? LinkedIn. Love it. It's, it's inspirational. It's a great communication and networking tool. You can find me at Yogi Miller, M-U-E-L-A-R. Appreciate you hanging out with us. And when I think about this conversation and what stood out to me, I think aside from the fact that this is somebody that's built a career in hospitality that's saying this stuff, I think that's instructive. If a leader from a high-churn organization and high-churn environment can say that the emphasis needs to be on development and retention of your people, that's a lesson that every organizational leader needs to be taking back and applying. And the reality of it is that we've gone through years where leaders on the business side of organizations have thought, if there's a problem, I can hire my way out of it. That growth at all cost mentality that is rooted in a talent attraction first mindset has ended up burning so much cash and so many great people 
maybe leaders are finally starting to get it that the emphasis needs to be on keeping the people that they have and mm -hmm. developing them to the next level. That's how you build a high-performing organization. At least that's what I took away from the conversation. And I appreciate you sharing that with me because it's about damn time that people start talking about keeping the people that they have yeah. versus just treating them like disposable cogs. For those of you who have been listening to the conversation, hope you enjoyed the discussion. Leave us a review and let us know how it went. Tune in next time where we'll have another great leader joining us to share with us the game-changing insights that they had that helped them build a high-performing team. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.